0: This morning we're going to spend some time in the uh, Gospel of John and specifically at the ministry of John the Baptist. It is a profound, in my view, a profound passage and so excited to be be able to open God's Word with you. I I was thinking, you know, Jesus, or excuse me, John came uh, saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, I, I view that as the greatest message this world has ever received. You know, we all have great things, great messages in our lives. You know, I think back as a as a younger guy, uh, maybe the greatest news I got up to a point in time was that my parents bought me a 1957 Ford Fairlane four-door. Talk about a hot car. <laughs> uh, you know, later than that, uh, I got this letter from the vet school at CSU admitting me it was in August, late August, so somebody probably you know, decided not to go, and I was the last one to get in the class, but so grateful to get that. But as I thought about that, probably the greatest news I ever got was when this woman over here said yes, 56 years ago. And so grateful for that, and maybe, maybe when she told me she was pregnant with our first child, maybe that, that was great news for sure. I don't know if it's the greatest, but I want you to just take a moment and think about what's some of the greatest news you perceive you've ever received in your life. Uh, Maybe it's some of the things I've talked about. Maybe it's the job you fought for and sought for so long, or maybe it's uh, overcoming some horrible health issue. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's some of the things I mentioned, but the reality is I want to talk to you this morning about the greatest news that I think mankind has ever received. Really, it it was introduced to us last week as Jason opened John's gospel to us in verses 6. He wrote these words, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all, all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world." Just let those verses soak in a bit. This is all God at work sending to us through John the Baptist, in my view, the greatest message, the greatest news we could ever receive. We're going to look at three testimonies that John brings about how God used him to bring this message to our world. But just let that soak into your soul for a moment. God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son into this world for us. And John was the proclaimer, the testifier, the witness to all of that. The herald of the Messiah. And so I was thinking about this. If this is the greatest news, it means John the Baptist was the greatest newsman ever. In contradistinction to some of what goes on in our world today. But this profound truth that he brought a herald of this message from God very very significant understand a couple of things about John the Baptist he is the first prophet to set foot in Israel for over 400 years the jews thought God had forsaken them and he was they they were desperate for a word from God and so they were attentive when John came in addition to this John was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before that listen to these words a voice uh, this is from Isaiah 43 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, from the, mouth of the for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the unfolding of God's plan of redemption for all time and for us personally and specifically. Remember, I just want to give you a really brief history of John's life. Remember that he was born of an older priest, Zachariah, and Zachariah and his wife were barren. They hadn't had a child and were praying for a child. And even as God spoke to Zachariah about the coming of John the Baptist, He gave to Zachariah uh, an insight into what John's life and ministry was about. Listen to these words from Luke 1, 13 through 17. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, this angel said to him, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that is Jesus, in spirit and power, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people." So these are the words that foretold John's coming through Zach, or to Zachariah. We don't know a lot about his life in between then and now, but we do know probably, and this is almost humorous, the first witness he gave of Jesus was in his mother's womb because if you remember the account when Mary went to visit Elizabeth Baby John leaped within her womb at the sound of Mary's voice. But the other three that we're going to talk about today are probably a bit more profound than that because they declare God's Word. So anyway, he brought this message to the world of a need to repent, and and he went out and he baptized many people. You know, he was a prophet, he wore camel hair and, and leather belts, and he ate uh, locust. I tell telling Julie, man, it would make dinner a lot easier if you just had to get locust and honey every night. But she said, I don't want to go get locust. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine eating that stuff? I can't, but that takes a man to do that. Anyway, uh, thinking of all these things, all of this was preparation, and He came, and uh, He was powerful, and people went out to see Him, uh, Matthew tells us, and they were uh, caught up believing that He could be the Messiah. They were profoundly impacted by his message, and many came, and they repented of their sin, and they were baptized. But let me say something here to make this really clear. This was not unto salvation. Lots of people are guilty over their sin, and lots of people repent of their sin for a little while. This is not salvation, but John was baptizing in this way in anticipation for what Jesus was going to come and do. And so he came with this message, as we'll see unfold for us in a moment, to bring to Israel the truth and the power of the coming Savior. He was a messenger, great and profound, as he came to accomplish the things God had called him to. He's going to do three things we see in the text today. First, he's going to deny firmly and completely he's not the Christ. Secondly, he is going to... Uh, herald and proclaim as Isaiah prophesied that the Christ is here, now in their midst, even though he didn't know Him early on. And then lastly, he's going to bring a witness to why he knew that and identify specifically who the Messiah is. Profound stuff. So let's read first in verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. This is his first testimony. It's a little bit lengthy, so we're going to do some things as we go through this, but understand he's going to get to this subject of why he came. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet?" And he answered, No. His testimony is going to be made very clear in this text, but right now he's answering questions from the religious leaders of his day. And they had a right to go out and question him. After all, he was the son of a priest. He was literally, by lineage, a priest. And so they wanted to know what message was he preaching, did he have the credentials and authority of a prophet, or, or was he going to use his pulpit to turn people against them, or, or maybe it was just plain jealousy. But nonetheless, they came to find out about him. And he disavowed all their questions. I'm not the Christ, I uh, am not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. What they had in mind was was that he was the prophet that Moses prophesied would come. The Old Testament tells us that Elijah will come to prepare the way for the Savior. And lastly, this this idea that... that, um, uh, he wasn't uh, a, the, the prophet or a prophet. You are not the prophet. I, I get these backwards. Not Elijah, not the Christ, and not the prophet. So he denied being the Messiah first. He then denied being Elijah, and then thirdly, that he was not the prophet. So this is what's going on in this passage. And they kept pressing him for an answer. Next they say, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself and remember these men went at the pleasure of the pharisees probably in jerusalem and they were trying to find out who this prophet was out in the wilderness stirring up all of this interest out there and the people were wondering is he really the messiah so all of that is in the background but he comes and he says to them in verse 23 i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So this is how he identified why he had come. He came to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. He was fulfilling, if you will, a prophecy of 700 years when he said these words, I come to proclaim to you what Isaiah prophesied so long ago. Remember those words. I've already shared them, but let me share them briefly again. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So simply, John was a herald. And a forerunner of jesus profoundly so called of god he was fulfilling every day he was on this earth the planned purpose and the will of god as he proclaimed and taught and baptized in all of these things the text goes on to say now they had seen now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked again, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So had to answer another question, why am I out there baptizing? And again, his ministry was one of anticipation and preparation. The baptism was to raise and uh, the coming of people to confess their sins, to aware, uh, raise an awareness in their lives of their need for salvation. And this was all coming, and this was all to be foretold through John uh, a bit more. Uh, and, and it was all going to come through the Savior, through Jesus Himself. So understand, He came to declare the coming of the Savior. And He went on in this text and said this, So one's coming, the Messiah, the one who's been foretold by the prophets of old. And now He says something profound, But among you... Stands one you do not know. He is already here. This is profound truth. They were longing and hoping for the coming of the Messiah for years and years and years. And now John tells them, I've come to prepare the way. And he stands among you, though you don't know him. Profound stuff. Can you imagine the expectation that these men had and, and the curiosity? And then he goes on to say out of humility, pure, total humility, because he understood who Jesus was. He said, he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Throughout John's ministry, what he did, what did he do? He pointed people to Jesus. And and just a little point of application here, what should we be doing? Pointing people to Jesus. That's uh, the most humble place, the most powerful place we can serve our living God. That's what John did and what we're called to do based on all that we learn here. Jesus said something about John, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but I want you to begin to ponder this. In Luke 7:28, he said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Think about that. Of all those born among women, there is none greater than John. We're going to finish that statement later. All these things took place, the text says, at Bethany across the Jordan. We don't know where this place was. That's why I believe John the Apostle distinguished it, because it wasn't the Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. It's a different place, but just leave that uh, there. The second witness, besides I've come to identify him and he's here, is that John identified him as the Lamb of God. We read on in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, listen to these words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine standing there and hearing these words, having longed for the coming Savior, the Messiah, for for all of your life and to hear these words spoken? That's what's in play here this is he of whom i said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me i myself did not know him but for this purpose i came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to israel behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world in the life of every jew that heard these words they would have been taken by these words back to the passover lamb that was used by god to deliver these people from bondage to the egyptians if you remember when the tenth plague was about to be unfolded on the ancient egyptians who were holding the israelites in bondage and captivity they had done that for many many years he said go out find a lamb slaughter be sure to not break any of its bones make sure it's a lamb without blemish or defect because he had to typify what our savior who was without sin And so all of this is in view here. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. The sinless Christ is already being portrayed for us and viewed for us in these words. Remember, the head of the household would go out and he would slaughter the lamb, and then he would take the blood of the lamb and he would paint the doorframe and the sides of the door. And God's promise to the Israelites in ancient Egypt was that the angel of death... Was coming, and he would pass over. That's where the word Passover came from. Pass over the houses that were literally under the blood. Do you see the typology in the Old Testament of the coming of Jesus and of salvation? It's so profound. And that night, all the Jews who had been obedient in this and painted their doorframe with the blood of Christ or of the, the blood of the Passover lamb they were spared their firstborn sons were not taken as was true of israel or excuse me of, of ancient egypt with that the uh, israelites were freed from their bondage their slavery another type of the power of salvation that were freed from the bondage of sin and all of those things because of the precious work of christ the thing i think many of these jews missed is that they didn't believe the messiah would suffer and pay a penalty for our death I don't know how they could miss that in the Old Testament because it says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness for sins. And, and, and the, the, the truths in Isaiah 53, listen to these, surely, speaking of, of the Messiah, the one who would be our, our sin bearer, surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's amazing that the Jews couldn't connect that with Jesus. It's so profound. It's so... Magnifies the, the power of sin and the penalty that sin requires. But nonetheless, they didn't see it. And what I want us to see is when Jesus came, the very same thing happened for us. God, through our faith, through our belief, literally looks at us as though our lives are painted with the shed blood of Jesus and we're freed from the power and penalty of sin. We're under the blood. We're forgiven, we're we're, uh, uh, saved from all of that. And uh, just, yeah. I, I want us to think about that today as we share the Lord's table and remember his broken body and his shed blood. John goes on to say, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's talking here about the fact that Messiah was. This Jesus we learned about last week, who was before the beginning of the world. He was in the beginning. He was God. This is whom John is uh, teaching us about. And uh, he goes on to say, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, when he says these words, I myself did not know him. I think what John, is, John the Baptist is helping us understand, though he grew up and somehow was related to Jesus, he didn't understand or know that Jesus was the Messiah yet. This had not been revealed to him with clarity. Uh, and, and so he's, he's unpacking for us the things God did in him and through him to reveal to him who the Messiah was. And, and he gives us the conclusion of that in these final verses of this text this is how John knew that Jesus was the Messiah and he tells us about three times that he didn't know who he was and John bore witness I saw the spirit defend descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him I myself did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me God spoke specifically clearly and directly to him these words he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Can you, this is an amazing thing that happened to John the Baptist. He was baptizing people. You remember the account. Jesus came to him and he didn't want to baptize him. And then Jesus said, it's necessary that you do this. And now we're going to find out why it was necessary that it be done. And Matthew 6 says it this way, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's why John said, up until this point, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, he on whom you see, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. These are profound truths that, that shape all of our spiritual lives if we understand them. He was sent by God. John and Jesus were the only two that saw this event unfold. None of the other people that were around, John, when he baptized Jesus, saw the heavens open, nor did they hear God speak these words about Jesus. This is the final concluding, confirming proof from God that Jesus is the Messiah. And John the Baptist was his testifier. God revealed him in this way. You know, the Old Testament mentions that the Spirit will rest on Jesus. The passage in Isaiah 11 says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the, his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. You see, the Spirit will rest on him. That same thing is said in Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Jesus was declared Messiah by John the Baptist, the only profound human witness specifically to that truth that God gave us. That's why this passage is so, so amazing and so foundational to our faith that He would do all of this. What's unique about Jesus and these words that He would bring the Holy Spirit is because what was different between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry, John can baptize people who were guilty who are willing to confess their sins, but He could not regenerate people through the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is the distinct difference that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. When we believe in Jesus, we're what? We're regenerated through the work of power and indwelling of the Spirit of God who then is with us, as long as we're surrendered to Him and walking in Him through the course of our life. And that's what salvation is. It's not just confessing our sins, it's believing in the shed powerful blood of Christ that He would regenerate us, He would make us alive, and He would fill us with His Holy Spirit to manifest all of the fruit that He has for us in our lives. Romans goes so far to say this in verse 9 of chapter 8, you, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. With this, John concludes his testimony with these words. Listen with great clarity or or, or with, with great attention. He said, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist's testimony concludes with these words. He came to proclaim him, to identify him, to let people know he was here. He came to show them that he was, what? The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And now he declares that this Christ is the Son of God. I want to take us back to the passage in Luke 7, 28, because (laughs) these are... These are really interesting truths to wrestle with. I'm not sure I understand them correctly, but listen to what Luke said. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. This is the part that captivates my mind. Yet, the one, of, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The least in the kingdom of God who genuinely come to faith in Christ, is Jesus saying he's greater than John the Baptist? It, Best I can understand that, what he's implying is once we've come into the fullness of believing faith, we're very different than John the Baptist. Understand, John the Baptist died before Jesus was crucified or raised from the dead. He did not see the full coming of the work of Jesus. He just knew Jesus was the Messiah. But if Luke is correct here, what he's saying is we have this incredible blessing as followers of Christ we have a greater spiritual heritage, in a sense, because we know of the death of Christ for sin, and we know of His resurrection that proved He overcame all of the powers of evil and wickedness to deliver us into the fullness of life that God has for us. I don't want to take anything away from John the Baptist. Here's a list of things that describe him. If if anyone believes the Bible could ever casually talk about John the Baptist, he he was a great man, tremendous courage, tremendous faithfulness to God. He clearly proclaimed the coming of Jesus. He clearly preached the need for repentance and salvation. He clearly magnified and exalted Jesus. Then I want to leave you with this thought. He He preferred a faithful death than an unfaithful, unfruitful life. That is a profound truth, and it's gripped my heart. I I hope it grips all of our hearts. He preferred a faithful death than an unfaithful, unfruitful life. We have such a privilege. I, I don't have the words to explain to us the greatness of our salvation or the greatness of God's passion for delivering us from the bondage of sin, that he did all of this. But I want us to grow deep in that. This week I was reading uh, in A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, and I think I saw something there that, that I want to challenge all of us to consider. Tozer wrote these words about the idealists and about the moralists who live in our world. He said their ideas are brain deep, not life deep. Whenever life touches them, and I think what he meant was in an unsavory way, they quickly left their ideals and their philosophies. They repudiated those theories to live like other men. And I think we know that's very true. But what he goes on to say is for us, and this is where I want to end this message today, He said this about believers, our trouble is that we have established bad thought habits. We habitually think of the visible world as real and doubt the reality of any other, that is, of God's kingdom. And how much do we live life like that? If I had to paraphrase that, I would say, as we look on this life we're living, it's all we see. And it's so hard to see through it, the kingdom of God and that you're a kingdom. I'm a kingdom citizen, and I'm here to live for the sake and the advancement of that kingdom. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it sure makes sense to me. I want to encourage us, each of us, to consider Tozer's words. Is living for our King Jesus and living for His kingdom brain deep in your life or life deep in you is it brain deep or life deep looking over John's life I don't know I think that question begs an answer from each of us And I'm going to leave us uh, with Tozer's prayer at the end of this chapter if you guys would put it on the screen I'm going to read it I'm going to pray it And I'm going to encourage you to ponder it while you're preparing to share the Lord's table. These are Tozer's words and suggested prayer at the end of the chapter. Oh God, quicken to life every power within me that I may lay lay hold on eternal things. Open my eyes that I may see. Give me acute spiritual perceptions. Enable me to taste Thee And know that thou art good. And then this last phrase, make heaven more real to me than any earthly thing ever has been. Wow. That's powerful stuff. Life-changing stuff. Let me pray. God, God, I pray this prayer for us as a church that we would grasp in, in, in great ways and bring to our lives every power that you've put in us through your Spirit, that we may lay hold of every eternal blessing that is ours. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see that we would grow in our spiritual perception, that that we'd be enabled more and more to taste and see that you and you alone are good. God, make heaven more and more and more real to us than any earthly thing we see or taste or touch for your glory and for your glory alone.